happy Monday. Today is June 27th, 2022. And could there be a better way to start off the week than another win for the Constitution out of the Supreme Court of the United States? This morning, the Supreme Court ruled in favor of Washington State's Bremerton High School football coach, Joe Kennedy, on his right to pray at the 50-yard line after high school football games. Hi, I'm Julie Barrett, and you're listening to the Women's Planning Podcast. I am also the founder of Conservative Ladies of Washington. We are a group of like-minded conservative ladies here in the state of Washington, working hard to fight for the things that are most important to us, such as religious freedom, the Second Amendment, the right to life, and so much more. And I am excited to tell you that later this summer, we will be expanding to a national platform and more on that to come in the weeks ahead. But in the meantime, you can learn more about our organization and and what we do and also a lot of resources on our website at conservativeladiesofwa.com. Well, another great ruling for conservatives for upholding the Constitution has come out of the Supreme Court this morning. As a Washington resident, of course, I have been watching this case pretty closely. In fact, in the spring of 2015, I had gotten to hear Coach Joe Kennedy come and speak at a Sunday morning church service where I was attending church at the time. This was when things were really starting to ramp up. I believe the lawsuit was filed later in 2015, but at this time he had been warned and put on administrative leave by the Bremerton School District for his practice of kneeling on the 50-yard line after the Friday night football games where he would kneel and pray. And it was just a private practice that he did by himself. And over time, some of the players would come out to join him. It was never the kind of thing where it was organized or he asked people to join him. He just was doing his practice of prayer after the game and other players would see him and would follow him. And so what happened there was that an opposing coach, uh, from a coach from the opposing team, saw what was going on and complained. Now, this sounds like a very leftist thing to do. We can't just live and let live, unless, of course, you're a leftist, and then you get to live and impose your beliefs on people that don't believe the same way. So it doesn't work. It's it's quite different if you're on the other side. But um, no surprise that it was uh, a coach on the opposing team who made this complaint to the school district about Coach Kennedy. And uh, he just refused to back down. He knew his constitutional right and he knew that what he was doing wasn't wrong. And it wasn't even I'm I, I think because it was after the game, was he still on, you know, a government employee? There's kind of a lot of technicalities there. But he linked up with Alliance Defending Freedom late in 2015. And this case has gone all the way up to the Supreme Court. And now we have a ruling, what's this, seven years later, that he was within his constitutional rights to be doing what he was doing. So a huge win. This win was another 6-3 decision. So you had the six conservative-leaning judges who voted 
in favor of this. And then, of course, you have the three liberal judges who voted against it or who dissented um, from this opinion. Here is what uh, Neil Gorsuch, Justice Gorsuch, is the one who wrote the opinion on this. And he says here, a government entity sought to punish an individual for engaging in a brief, quiet, personal religious observance, doubly protected by the free exercise and free speech clause of the First Amendment. And the only meaningful justification the government offered for its reprisal rested on a mistaken view that it had a duty to ferret out and suppress. Religious observances, even as it allows comparable secular speech, the Constitution neither mandates nor tolerates that kind of discrimination. He goes on to say the school district's reasoning to not allow uh, Kennedy to pray on the sidelines because he was a government employee um, says the reasoning was misguided. Both the free exercise and free speech clauses of the First Amendment protect expressions like Mr. Kennedy's, nor does a proper understanding of the amendment's establishment clause require the government to single out private religious speech for special disfavor. Gorsuch stated that not just the Constitution, but the best of our traditions call for mutual respect and tolerance, not censorship and suppression for religious and non-religious views alike. He goes on to say that the First Amendment doubly protects religious speech is no accident. It is a natural outgrowth of the framers' distrust of government attempts to regulate religion and suppress dissent. Now, here's what's interesting. I talk about my school district all the time because it's pretty pretty woke. I would say one of the more woke school district in the state of Washington. And a few years ago, I want to say it was 2019, our school district superintendent put out a memo to staff. And it also was an email that went home to parents about Ramadan and special considerations that would be given to staff and students during the month of Ramadan. So Ramadan goes for 29 to 30 days. And so that would impact a lot of school days. So they would get special space for prayer. Uh, Lunchtime is probably one of the most difficult periods to endure while fasting. It might help for a comfortable space to be available for fasting students to go to instead of the designated lunchroom. The room can have books, magazines, and other things to keep students busy. Of course, it's then up to the student whether they choose to go there or not. Some of your students may request a quiet space for midday prayers, which usually take no longer than five minutes. If so, plan ahead to avoid unnecessary disruption and attention when they leave and so they do not miss critical instruction. Uh, There's also several thoughts about how they should accommodate them with PE because they are fasting and so they may not have the same amount of energy and they need to have special accommodations. So minimizing movement activities to simple walking, allowing them to provide a support role for the teacher instead of having to do the exercise, avoiding excessive movement while participating outside, privately offer information about nutritional adaptations, protein complex cars that may be imperative during non-fasting times. Athletes and students should still be in attendance uh, to their classrooms even during this fasting time. So as you can see, I don't need to keep going on, but as you can see, they are going to great lengths to make sure that these students who are participating in the religious activity of Ramadan are accommodated, which I don't have a problem with. If we are going to provide these accommodations for Muslim students during Ramadan, then we need to provide these same accommodations to Jewish students who may be following one of their religious 
practices for Christian students, maybe during Lent, if they are fasting lunch, perhaps. You know, these are accommodations that are put out for special groups that the left is willing to pander to, but they're not offered to Christians. And it was interesting because my pastor said something that resonated with me yesterday during his sermon. He was talking about how, you know, in our society in recent years, they have taken, you know, they've taken the Ten Commandments out of, you know, there have been like some monuments and statues around. They've taken those out. They've taken away any kind of Bible verse, any kind of trace of Christianity and the gospel of Jesus Christ out of any kind of public institutions, because when those crumbs are left around, they resonate with people and they soak into people and the gospel gets into us. And non-Christians know that. And they're so afraid of that, that they can't have any mention of Christianity. They can't have any mention of the gospel or of Jesus Christ. And so they have to get these things out. And I think it's really interesting. It's really telling when you look at how offended people are at the gospel of Jesus Christ. They're offended when you pray to Jesus Christ here in Washington state, in our state legislature back in February, the house majority leader said, there's no praying to Jesus on the house floor. You can't use the name of Jesus on the house floor. It is so indicative of the spiritual battle that we're in that people cannot even stand the name of Jesus. They can't stand to see proof of the gospel anywhere. They've got to get Bible verses off the walls and out of books, and we can't have any mention of this. And so this is a huge, huge, huge win for the Constitution. Everybody thinks that the separation of church and state means that there's no mention of religion or prayer in our government institutions. And that's actually not what separation of church and state is about. What the separation of church and state is about is it protects people from the government infringing upon their religious freedoms. It's not about the fact that we can't, your kid can't bring a Bible to school. Actually, it's quite the opposite. The separation of church and state allows you to practice your religion, whatever that religion is, wherever you want. That's the whole idea behind it. And here's something funny I notice is when when you're talking about this win at the Supreme Court, people on the left think it's a gotcha when they say, so you're okay with Muslims and Satanists and, you know, Buddhists and all that exercising their religious practices. Well, I mean, certainly I'm not in favor of Satanists, but that is kind of what the Constitution says. And so if I'm in favor of the Constitution, then I'm also in favor of your freedom to practice the religion of your choice. That's how it works. It's not a gotcha. It's not, it, this is freedom for all and whatever your choice is. And that's the whole idea with conservatives is we want less government and we want people to be free to choose what they want to do. Speaking of freedom, specifically freedom of choice, on Friday we had the SCOTUS opinion on Roe v. Wade. Roe v. Wade was overturned effective Friday, June 24th, 2022. That is a huge victory for the right to life. One of the things that I have been thinking about and watching over the last few days is it's not really an argument about pro-choice anymore. And so I think that people who are in favor of abortion, we need to be calling them pro-abortion because the left kind of ruined this whole idea of pro-choice 
during the last couple years. When the left wanted to mandate for us that we take these mRNA injections, that we have to have these so-called vaccines for COVID to be able to go to restaurants, to be able to go to sporting events, to be able to worship in our churches. When they mandated that people had to have this shot to keep their job, people all over the country, people especially here in Washington, lost their jobs because they weren't willing to get this shot because they were pro-choice and they made a choice not to get this injection. But people on the left, they were the ones that mandated it. It was the left that said, you don't have a choice. You have to get this shot or you lose your job. You have to get your shot or you can't come in this restaurant. It was the left that said, you have to wear a mask to get on an airplane. You have to wear a mask to go into the post office. You have to wear a mask to grocery shop. It is the people on the left who scream at you if you're not wearing a mask. You're trying to kill grandma. They are not pro-choice. They don't give us choice. They don't want us to have choice. They want to mandate what we do with our bodies. So when I see someone, you know, with this hands off our body, my body, my choice, pro-choice. No, you're not pro-choice. You're not hands off my body. You are pro-abortion. And we need to start calling it that. We need to stop using the word pro-choice as it pertains to abortion, because the left is not pro-choice. They are pro-abortion. And this needs to be a shift in the way we talk about this. And words are very important. For instance, I don't call it a COVID vaccine because it's not a true vaccine. And they change the definition of these words to make it fit their new description so that it would fit the word that they wanted to use. I don't say public schools. I say government schools because the schools are run by government. They're not run by the public. And these are things that are very important. We must be careful with our language. You see what the left does with language. Language is very important to them. We don't have men and women. We don't have women don't get pregnant. Persons get pregnant. Anyone with a uterus can get pregnant. Can a man have a uterus? Of course a man can have a uterus. Can a man get a period? Of course he can. And so in order to fight back against this, we need to be very careful with our words. We need to be very intentional with our words. And we can't, this pro-choice sounds pretty. It sounds nice. Pro-abortion doesn't sound as nice, but it is more accurate. Because they only want choice when it pertains to certain things. And so I encourage you as you are talking to people about this, because I think uh, it's going to be one of the hottest issues as we go into November. So I encourage you to use that language of pro-abortion rather than pro-choice. And I think it's especially important as we're talking about political candidates and politicians and what they're saying or what they're not saying about the Roe v. Wade issue. So what I talked about on Friday is Roe v. Wade overturns the fact that abortion is a constitutional right. This doesn't make 
abortion illegal in the United States, it just turns this decision back over to the states. So in states like Washington, Oregon, California, New York, these really blue states, you already have very robust abortion laws. Here in Washington, they took the guardrails off of abortion even more in this last legislative session. Now there are pretty much anybody in the medical field can perform an abortion and they cannot be sued. And it also provides safety to people who are coming from out of state and, you know, changes the language from pregnant women to pregnant persons. This kind of thing is happening in blue states because they were anticipating this possibility of this Supreme Court decision. So in a state like mine, the Roe v. Wade doesn't really change anything. Um, There are states like Texas and South Dakota and some other states where this decision has already made changes and has banned abortion at a certain point, and in some cases altogether. So we're going to see this continue to be an issue. And what I see most on what I see most from the left is that they're not speaking truthful about it. And I don't see people on the right coming along to clear things up. And I noticed over the weekend, there was a lot of silence by people on the right. They don't want to take a chance that they might lose voters if they take a stand. And I find this highly offensive because Donald Trump, when he was elected in 2016, people came out in droves to elect Donald Trump because he was pro-life, because he promised to appoint pro-life judges. So you had, in a lot of cases, including me, I came out just to vote for Donald Trump. That's the only thing I voted for on the ticket. And you have a lot of people like me who came out because they wanted to appoint a, they wanted to elect a pro-life president. So to think that pro-life is not a winning issue for Republicans, I believe is very ignorant. I believe that the church will come out if they believe that they're voting for someone who believes what they believe. One of our members of Conservative Ladies of Washington, I was speaking to her the other day about she is going to vote biblically this year. She said, if they're not in alignment with my biblical views, I'm not going to vote for them. And so I've been thinking about that a lot since I was talking to her. And I thought, how many people would, how many positions would we just not vote for because none of the candidates align with our biblical worldview? I think that might be part of the reason why we don't get the church out to vote and why a lot of voters don't come out to vote. And I say this all the time, but we want to be voting for people who are willing to take a stand. Nobody wants wishy-washy person that you don't know where they stand. I love Tulsi Gabbard. I think she's great. I think she speaks her mind. What I don't love about her is I don't always know where she stands. I don't know what she would do. I would find it very difficult to vote for her because she's kind of murky with her positions. I don't feel like she does that to please any certain side. I just think that's how she is. But it's the best example I have for why it's difficult for me to get excited about voting for someone like her. Whereas you have a candidate like, let's say, Carrie Lake, she or Marjorie Taylor Greene, these ladies are willing to say exactly what their view is. They're willing to take a stand 
and not back down and they're not going to be pushed around and either you're with them or you or you're not but you know where they stand so electing people that we know where they stand we know how they're going to vote here in washington i look around at all of these gop candidates who have said nothing about this Roe v. Wade decision, which is like, what, the biggest decision in almost 50 years. And they're not saying anything. They're not willing to take a stand because they don't want people to know that they're pro-life. They might lose votes. At what point do we decide that we are going to do what's right and it doesn't matter if we lose the vote. We've been electing so many wishy-washy Republicans who get bought off and, and side with the Democrats time and time again. And then we don't get we don't get the policies that we as Christians, as conservatives, elected these people to get. All because they're moderate and they won't take a stand either way. And so they're willing to compromise. The Republicans compromise all the time. I mean, look at the gun control bill that just went through the Senate and we had 14 Republican senators vote for that. Well, here in Washington state, we've got Tiffany Smiley running for Senate against Patty Murray. And I'll vote for Tiffany because she's better than Patty Murray. But I have to wonder, I haven't heard her take a clear stand on almost all the issues I care about. And so I have to wonder, would she have been the 15th senator to vote for this gun control bill? These are issues that we should be demanding candidates take a stand on. And if they're not willing to take a stand, then they don't get your vote. I personally have no problem this election season not voting. If I don't feel that a candidate aligns, that either candidate aligns with my views, I'm not going to vote for that position. I can't do it. If you can't tell me where you stand, I will not vote for you. And I've gotten some backlash for that you know, like, well, how is that helping our cause? Well, how is it helping our cause to continue to elect more rhinos, more establishment Republicans, pawns of the party that will go whichever way the wind blows or whichever way the money's coming from? I don't want that. And until we can decide that we're going to have a backbone and that we're going to stand up against this crap, we're going to keep getting the same old garbage. We're going to keep getting a state legislature, a U.S. Congress that has a bunch of lukewarm Republicans that we cannot count on to vote the way we want them to vote. And I guess that's the blessing of what we've seen over the last few days is we've really been able to see where people stand and who has a backbone and who doesn't. And it's sad to say there's very few strong conservatives who are willing to stand up speak truth and take a stand for what is right and for what we need in our country. And until we can get a whole lot more of those people, I'm afraid we're not going to see the change that we need to see in order for the pendulum to, to swing back far enough to, you know, the right to the middle. I mean, we're so far to the left right now in this country that we have to have people who are not willing to compromise with with the left and who are willing to say, I'm going to get in here and fight. And I don't care if I get funding from such and such. They're just going to get in there and fight because it's the right thing to do. So I am excited because we have we have several candidates like that here in Washington that really get me excited. One of them is Scott Stevenson. He is running for Congress in Washington's 8th Congressional District. And there are several uh, Republican candidates on the ticket for the August 2nd primary here. And the 
the Washington State GOP has not gotten behind Scott really at all. They've left him out of town halls. He's been not invited, and uh, he's definitely not a pawn of the party, which is what attracts me to him. If it's if some if the party is not backing this guy, I want to know more about you. He's very outspoken on the issues that matter to me, and he's very he has no problem calling the Republicans to account and saying, why are you not speaking up on this? Or why did you do this? And we that's what we need. We need people who are willing to come in and challenge the party on the status quo. And so it's exciting to me to see that there are people like Scott, like Marjorie Taylor Greene, like Joe Kent, who are stepping up into the ring. And we just need to get behind them. And I shared on Twitter this morning a donation link for Scott Stevenson's uh, campaign. And I mentioned that you can be anywhere in the U.S. and donate to Scott's campaign. And I would say that for any of these congressional races, if there's someone around the country like Scott or like Joe Kent or like my friend Brad Clippert in Washington's 4th Congressional District, you can donate to these campaigns from wherever you are in the U.S. And that's really going to be important that we that we fund these people that we want to get elected because they're not going to get the help of the GOP or these big activist groups and political action committees that are throwing around money. They're going to throw it to the establishment and not the grassroots conservatives that that need it um, desperately. So I would encourage you to look for those people and and support them financially. You know, even a ten dollar a month donation is is helpful. You know, think of if ten people commit to donating ten bucks a month, there's a hundred dollars right there. So those are kind of the easy, low hanging fruit things that we can do to help these conservative candidates. And and it gives me hope uh, when I see these these hardworking grassroots, true conservatives out there, you know, pounding the pavement and getting out there in the community and talking with folks. I do believe that we can turn this country around. I don't think it's going to be anytime quick. I don't think it's going to be this election. I think it's a marathon, not a sprint. But I believe that with prayer and with, you know, standing true to our values and not compromising, I believe that we can get there. So it's exciting. It's an exciting time to be alive. And it was exciting to wake up and have yet another Supreme Court victory for upholding the Constitution. I'll have links in the notes to some articles about uh, this Joe Kennedy case that SCOTUS ruled in favor of, as well as the full um, opinion that was released from the Supreme Court today. Well, as per usual, if you have a episode topic idea that you'd like for me to consider for an upcoming episode, I'd love to hear from you. All of my contact info is in the notes. It's been three episodes in a row to drop some good news. So let's see if we can keep this good streak going and I'll see you guys again next time. 